Y'all, today is a good day. Reason being, we have an amazing guest on the show, and I'm sure you're used to that. You're like, yeah, man, we always have awesome guests. It's true. But today is something a little bit special because it's Mr. Chris Gillibo. And it's special because, of course, Chris is a friend. He's been on the show before. He was one of the first 100 teachers on Creative Live. You know, the list goes on and on. But one of the reasons I'm most excited about this is because what you're going to take away from this conversation. Now, he wrote a new book called The Money Tree. And if I know anything about uh, what the creators and entrepreneurs that I know are going through right now in this COVID time, money is a problem. It's a challenge, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. Uh, And Chris does such a good job. Not only has he experienced and shared a lifetime of living non-conventionally, but he's also a world-class speaker. Um, He talks about you know, a lot of these topics about entrepreneurship, about paving your own way. Um, and of course now about money and starting your own, um, your own project where you're not reliant on out, whether it's a side hustle or your own full-time gig, this concept of creating, um, revenue for you that is current. It's like, it's within arm's reach right now. All you have to do is to take action. And there's a million reasons to love Chris G. Um, one of them being he was the youngest person ever to visit all 193 countries on the planet. And you also have probably read some of his books, The $100 Startup, The Art of Nonconformity, some bestsellers there. Um, but specifically in today's event, we're going to follow uh, a three-act play. And in the first act, Chris delivers essentially a monologue about um, all of the topics that I just shared uh, around his new book, The Money Tree, specifically, again, how to do this on your own, how to find money in your own back pocket backyard within arm's reach, um, what to do in the face of doubt, how to manage these crazy times. Then Chris and I have a discussion around the book, which I think will fire you up. Um, Chris shoots lasers into to the answers of Mike or to questions that I asked him um, in a way that a uh, few can on the topic of money and starting your own gig. Um, and then we open the floor up to uh, a worldwide Q&A. This is a recording that we made, um, gosh, I think it was about a month ago now. It was aired on Creative Live TV and on a class that we we put together around the money tree. This audio version of it, I think it's a great way to to take this with you on the go. Um, so while you won't be able to ask any questions, one of the things I love about, um, sharing a live Q and a is that if you probably have, if you have a question, chances are that someone was watching of the thousands of people that were tuned in that day, chances are that, uh, your question will be answered too. So three act play in store for today, yours truly, but the person you're really here for is Mr. Chris Gillibo talking about his new book, the money tree. So, uh, I'm going to get out the way before we do just a super quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be off to the races with Chris. Hey, quick question for you before we get into the episode. Do you feel stuck by any chance? Do you feel like your dreams are are a bit out of reach or you've got more potential with this one precious life than you're realizing today, right this moment? Well, you know what? I got an idea. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. So to that end, I wrote a book. It's a new book. It just dropped in September. It's called Creative Calling, and it became an instant bestseller when it was released this past September. Now, 
if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect, and I mean perfect, companion because it takes the ideas we discuss here in the show, creativity, entrepreneurship, how to pursue your dreams and career, hobby, and in life, and it organizes them in a super clever and incredibly practical way that will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So I do have an ask, and that ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or who am I getting? Maybe 10. But again, here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. You see, creativity is a force inside every one of us that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. Establishing a creative practice is therefore, in my opinion, the most valuable and urgent task that you can do. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. So I put everything I had into this book. I mean everything. It's 10 years in the making. Now, I know from math and numbers that a lot of you who listen to the show have already purchased the book, and for that, I say thank you, uh, and I have a, a separate ask of you, and that is, one, if you haven't left a review, it would mean the world to me. I read them regularly, um, and I'm sharing them on my social, and I'm just so grateful to have your feedback. And thing two, thank you for being the messengers for this book. I know, as do you, that Word of mouth is the most powerful way that we learn about things in our culture. And the fact that the book, you know, went straight to the bestseller lists and is continuing to um, have incredible traction on a global level. I know that you're active and I just want to say thanks. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And now let's get back into the show. Chase, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chase Drivers Creative Live. Hello, Internet. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so excited to have the chance to come on one of my favorite platforms with my favorite people uh, and talk about the money tree, but also talk about uh, some broader concepts that I think are very, very relevant uh, to this time that we're all in. You know, I think um, when we look ahead, you know, we go ahead six months from now, a year from now, multiple years from now, whatever the time frame is, we're all going to be able to look back and remember this time. Like, it's not going to be something that we forget, right, for all kinds of reasons. And something that I've been thinking about for myself is, what do I want to remember during this time? Because some of those things are already kind of set, right? That's just based on history, on current events, and so on. But I want to be able to look back and say, okay, well, all these things were happening, and in lots of ways it was really crazy, but I did something during this time. I made something. You know, I'm able to look back and say, like, I had a goal or I made a change or a shift in my life. And I think actually a lot of people are going to make tremendous shifts during this time. So that's my encouragement to you just as we start here. As we look ahead, you know, how do we want to see this time uh, in history when we're looking back on it later? So I'm here, as Chase said, uh, to do the virtual book launch of my book, The Money Tree. I was supposed to go to 40 cities. I was going to do a book tour all across North America and then eventually beyond. Uh, but now I'm going to zero cities. Uh, so, of course, I've had to, to change and make adjustments uh, along with everybody else. Um, but I'm very grateful for the chance to speak to people all over the world uh, here. So we'll talk a little bit about the book, but I just want to kind of acknowledge reality and kind of focus, you know, even more on this concept of, like, well, first the reality, like we're in this world that has been turned upside down. Um, a lot of people are anxious, rightfully so. A lot of people are concerned and worried. Um, a lot of the things that we have believed to be true, perhaps we're realizing are not true. A lot of expe expectations we've had, a lot of assumptions we've had. There's just so many changes, right? So many disruptions. And uh, the interesting thing is we've never experienced anything like this before. 
in human history, but uh, we're going through it together now. So whatever like global events have happened uh, before, we didn't have the connectivity that we do now. So now like you know everybody's doing all kinds of online meetings. Uh, we're all watching Creative Live and connecting with people in you know in different places uh, without being able to connect physically. So. It's kind of interesting because just as an analogy, like, you know, I'm here in this studio and, and Chase is in another studio. Uh, so I'm in a room, you know, with some cameras, but it's, it's kind of isolating because nobody else is here. But at the same time, I know that a lot of people are here in a way because I know that you're watching from wherever you are in your couch, your office, on the go, perhaps. Uh, so this is kind of like what life is like now in lots of ways, like we're isolated, but we're also together. What do we do? What do you do? What do I do? when everything around you changes, like when you realize that these things that you have believed in uh, or these things that you have relied upon, perhaps, uh, are not true or not true now or just something that you can't rely on or, you know, as I said, so much has changed. So I really believe, and this is something I've been focusing on a lot, we'll talk about it here today, uncertainty and opportunity often come together. Like whenever there's progress, there are some negative effects. Whenever there is disruption, there are some positive effects. So the question is like, where is the where is the opportunity? How can we find that? And one thing I really know is that, uh, you know, a lot of things are outside of our control. In fact, so many things are outside of our control. I don't have to tell you that, right? But if we focus on what we can influence, um, then I think that is the key to being able to look back on this time and say, you know, I did everything I could to to be safe, to take care of myself, to check up on people that I loved. Uh, maybe I kind of reoriented reoriented a bit in that way. But, you know, as I said earlier, I also did something for myself. I made a change, um, and I found that opportunity for myself, uh, one perhaps, you know, that I wouldn't have found otherwise. So that's my goal to talk with you about here today. I, I very much look forward to the interactive portion, as Chase mentioned. Uh, so our agenda for this presentation, this part of it, I'm going to talk about uh, the student loan crisis, um, something that was you know, scary before all of this current situation began to occur. Uh, I think it's very relevant now, uh, even if you don't have student loans, if you don't have student debt, um, I think it's relevant to a lot of people. Um, I'm going to talk about a new model of earning extra income. So that if you're facing financial pressure of any kind, uh, you can learn a new way of, of doing that. Essentially, I'm going to talk about the first way, the second way, and importantly, the third way. And then as part of that, I'm going to give you 14 examples, 14 pretty quick examples of real projects. Okay, so people that are using this model. And if you have listened to Side Hustle School or followed some of my other work, uh, some of these stories might be familiar to you. Uh, you might hear an update or a bit of a refresh on them. So let's dive in. Um, let's talk about something scary that isn't what everybody else is talking about 99% of the time. So when I first started working on this book, um, I was thinking a bit about this problem of how every spring and summer, more than 2 million students just in the US alone uh, will graduate with a four-year diploma. It's actually 4 million students graduating, including associate degrees and such. Obviously, people elsewhere graduating around the world. Um, and especially in North America, 70% of them will have significant student loan debt. 70% of them have debt of more than $10,000. Uh, the average is something like $30,000. And of course, a lot of people have much more than that. Now, historically, there's been this bargain where you know, we go to school, you know, we choose to invest, maybe take on debt, you know, we spend a certain amount of time, years, et cetera. But in the end, you know, we're going to get a, a high-paying job. We're going to enter you know, a career in which we will have job security and so on. Well, we all know that's really not the case uh, for so many people these days. And the cost of education has outpaced inflation while providing lower returns, which has created a generational wealth gap. 
so that millennials are now much poorer off than you know, preceding generations. This is either the first time in history this has happened, or it's certainly the first time in, in a very long time. So those are just a few statistics. I don't need to tell you any more about that because you already know what a problem is. And just in case you forgot, because I know you didn't, all of this is taking place in an uncertain time. Okay, so we have all these things going on. And if you don't have that problem of, of student debt, uh, if you don't know somebody that does, which you probably do, uh, then any kind of financial pressure, if you have lost your job, if you are underemployed now, like so many people are, uh, or even if you still have a good job, but you're a little bit worried and afraid, rightfully so, um, then you are facing that kind of situation of insecurity, of uncertainty of like, okay, you know, what do I do? Like, what can I do about this? So that's what we're going to talk about here, you know, solutions, practical responses. And speaking of responses, I want to show you a couple of ways that we tend to respond to this problem. When, we, when we're feeling financial pressure, uh, there's a couple ways that we tend to respond. Uh, one of those ways is we get mad. Okay, we get really mad, and the, the object of our wrath you know, tends to vary. Uh, it might be we're upset at another generation. Like, why did you leave us in this place? Uh, we're mad at the government. We're mad at corporate America. It could be a political system. We're upset with capitalism. We're upset with socialism, something in between. You know, whatever it is, we get really mad. So here's the thing. It's not that there is nothing in the world to be upset about. It's not that you know, any of these parties are innocent. Uh, it's not that you know, there's not a place for righteous anger. The problem is that you know, after you're mad, you're still in the same situation you were before. Like your fundamental situation isn't changed. So getting mad actually doesn't solve the problem. Uh, the other thing that we tend to do when we're in this state of, of anxiety or even panic or desperation for some people, uh, we embrace extreme frugality. And we're like, I can't, you know, can't spend any money at all. I, I need to like stop buying my coffee. And you know, if I, you know, deposit that four dollars I was going to spend on my coffee, you know, then you know, ten years from now I'll be able to buy a coffee maker, and I can make my coffee at home. And then I can deposit, you know, another four dollars. And in forty years, if I don't get hit by a bus, you know, maybe that will contribute to some retirement. You know, again, some part, some point in the distant future, right? So. That's not really going to solve the immediate problem. That's not really going to help you be better off. Maybe eventually one day, but very, very far in the future. So I believe like those are the responses that we tend to, to gravitate towards. But if you have this problem, whether it is student loan debt, whether it's another kind of debt, whether it is unemployment, underemployment, uh, the lack of job security, um, just feeling that your choices are limited because of finances, this is the only real solution. Like, this is what you need to do. You need to actually increase your income. Not just, you know, cut back on the coffee, not just get mad. You need to increase your income. And it's a two-part process because you want to increase your income and decrease your dependency. Like, at this point, you're realizing maybe some of the things that we've depended on before are not actually that reliable. Job security is, is really not a thing. So how can I lessen my dependence on external parties? Uh, how can I create more security for myself? And, you know, I've been talking a bit about money. The new book is called The Money Tree, right? And I've been thinking a lot about it because I am the, I'm the first to say that money is a tool, right? Like money is a resource. You know, money is like, it's not about pursuing money for the sake of money. It's just about what you can exchange, you know, that money for and so on. Ultimately, we're all interested in life purpose and life meaning. How can we, you know, live a fulfilling life? How can we contribute you know, to other people's lives? Um, how can we be of service and such? But at the same time, 
you know, this whole thing about like, you know, why are you focusing on money? Um, the people who, send to, people who tend to say things like, well, money doesn't matter or money isn't, impor isn't important, those people tend to have money. Do you know what I mean? Like those people actually tend to have enough. And I have never heard in all the emails I get and communication I get, I have never heard someone write in and say, you know, I just lost my job. Please stop talking about making money. So I want you to understand, like, if you're in a situation where you are okay right now, then that's great. But millions of people are not. And so when you're in debt, this is the key point, many of your choices are made for you. You have these limitations. You have these constraints. Like all of us now are experiencing all sorts of limitations and constraints on our ability to live daily life, our ability to travel, like how we interact with people and such. Well, if you are in this situation of crippling debt or you know, some other financial pressure, that is your situation all the time. Right? You always have these limitations and constraints, not the same ones necessarily, but you're always living in this world in which you have something imposed upon you. And so it is crippling, as I said. Money's not everything, but if you don't have it, your life is, is very different. So if you accept this principle, if you're like, okay, can't just you know, get mad, can't just, you know, can't just uh, save money, how do I actually do that? Like, how do I increase my income? And here, once again, we have a couple of responses that we tend to gravitate toward, right? Um, this is because this is what we're told to do, and this is what you know, we see other people trying to do. And one of those things is like, we're just gonna work harder, right? We're either gonna work harder in our job or try to get a different job and you know, just, just try to do a better job and, and get ahead somehow. Nothing wrong with working harder, but you know, if you have $50,000 worth of debt, that's not necessarily going to, to help. The other thing, um, which you know, has been marketed to us very well by large corporations, is you know, go and join the gig economy. Okay, go and join the gig economy, which really is just um, a set of glorified part-time jobs. It's a set of, a set, set of uh, opportunities to go and make small amounts of money. And there is some benefit you know, to being able to set your own schedule and to have you know, some amount of choice there, but there's also a great deal of limitations, right? And if entrepreneurship is about freedom or being able to, to be free of financial pressure is about freedom, you know, what kind of freedom is it if someone else makes all the decisions? Because with all of these platforms, all these opportunities in the gig, gig economy, uh, you think you have so, some choice, but there are a tremendous amount of limitations. These companies control the amount of competition in your area. They control your compensation effectively. Uh, if they don't like you, then they kick you off the platform. So again, what kind of freedom is it if somebody else is deciding everything? Nothing at all wrong with having a part-time job. Just to be clear, like in, all, in our lives, most of us have done things like deliver pizza or like, like I did that um, when I was young. I worked in a warehouse, like putting boxes on a truck. Um, but that's not what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Like, and if you really want to get ahead, uh, if you are experiencing that pressure, you have to do something different. So those are the solutions that other people propose. Those are what we tend to gravitate towards. I want to propose something different. And Chase was very kind uh, to say some nice things about me in the, in the beginning. Um, I'll just say a couple things. Like, I've spent my entire life, for better or worse, um, questioning authority, looking for alternative solutions. Um, and I have always worked for myself. Uh, this is the definition, um, I'll let you read this, uh, of entrepreneur that I have always kind of gravitated toward myself. <clears throat> Someone who will work 24 hours a day for themselves um, to avoid working one hour a day for someone else. I'm not saying this is the model everyone should follow. Uh, to be clear, a lot of people um, that I featured on my podcast or in my books, a lot of my community 
you know, have regular jobs, you know, they have families and responsibilities, they have this thing called life work balance, etc. So I'm not trying to say everybody else needs to, you know, work all the time, or whatever. Uh, but for me, I've just been very motivated, you know, to start different projects and to explore, as I said, you know, different solutions um, and alternatives. And my overall mission is to help people make their own choices uh, and become self-reliant. Um, and I've done that for 11 years now with this project I have called The Art of Nonconformity, uh, which my overall mission is, you know, to that is, or life statement, I would say, is, is you don't have to live your life the way others expect. Um, there are all kinds of expectations that people will put on you. There are all kinds of assumptions. Um, there are all kinds of, of, of traditional paths that are laid out for you to follow. And you don't have to adhere to those expectations or assumptions or follow those paths. There could be something else better for you. It doesn't mean that everyone is lying to you about everything. It doesn't mean like this is not like the matrix. Everything you've, you've heard is untrue. But a lot of what you have heard may not be true for you. And that's the whole point. Or it may not be true for you at this, at this time, uh, at this time in your life, at this season in history. Another thing I really believe is that nobody will care about your well-being as much as you do. So even though there are good jobs, there are good companies, it's not like I completely mistrust you know, every organization or large structure. Nobody's going to care about you getting ahead, you having more security uh, the way that you do or the way that you need to. So what I want to talk about here is um, the solution called the third way. And this is the model that I've developed uh, in this new book, The Money Tree, uh, a story about finding the fortune uh, in your own backyard. And this book is essentially telling the story um, of a young guy named Jake who has a pretty good job, a decent job at least, and he is a hard worker, but he's really struggling like so many people. And he had a lot of student loan debt, and this debt is affecting every part of his life. Um, it's affecting his relationship. It's affecting his day job performance. Um, he's, he's getting evicted from his apartment. Like all this kind of stuff is happening. And what happens in life sometimes is all the pressures arrive at once, right? It's like you have one thing and you're like, I'm dealing with this. And then something else, you know, comes along and it's like this piling on effect. And so he's trying to figure out what can I do? You know, how can I get out of this situation? And he, you know, first tries, you know, to just work harder and he considers, you know, becoming a rideshare driver, uh, but realizes, you know, that's not actually going to, to solve the problem effectively. So, you know, he ends up going to a group where everybody's in this situation uh, or a similar situation of trying to create something for themselves. And they're all trying to do it without spending a lot of money uh, or taking a lot of risk, uh, which I'll come back to. So I mentioned the third way. What's the first way and the second way? Um, the first way of starting a business, if you go back, like traditionally, like when I was young, like I thought about, well, really young, like as a kid, um, I thought about one day I want to own a business and I was always thinking about it's going to be like a retail store or I don't know if I was thinking about a coffee shop then, but you know, this is like the classical model mom and pop store, right? You can open the dry cleaner or whatever. And that requires capital one way or another. You usually have to borrow money, whether it's from the bank or from your parents or from your own savings, some other source. Uh, it involves risk, like it might work out, um, but it might not. And if it fails, there are pretty significant consequences. Uh, and there's also a long time frame to it, you know, for all these kinds of businesses. Like it's going to take a while before you know if it's working or not. Um, and you could you know, end up spending years on, on a project that, that ultimately fails. The second way uh, is the way of the startup world. So this is like, you know, every company in San Francisco or Tel Aviv or Berlin or wherever making an app, you know, or doing something, doing something that also requires capital. Also requires capital. Um, it also involves risk. 
lots of things can go wrong. Uh, and to obtain that capital, you usually need to have connections, which is another asset, essentially. You need to have the right connections, the right relationships, you need to know people. And so these two models are often presented as opposites, like, oh, you got your like retail store, and this is the new way of the startup world. But think about this. What do these approaches have in common? And there's an obvious answer. Both of them are dependent on other people. Both of them are dependent on somebody else, some other person or party, to come along and kind of bestow permission in the form of, of funding, usually. Um, but it's dependent on some other circumstance, which if you think about, um, is really uh, another way of saying both of them are dependent on something outside your control. And you know, when I started a few minutes ago, I was like, right now there's a lot of stuff outside of our control. What is within our control? Don't we want to maximize what is within our control uh, so that we're not dependent on external events? Or we're less dependent, let's say. We're less dependent on external events. Um, we're less dependent on externalities you know, for our security. So first way, second way, um, and you know, I'm proposing the solution is the third way. Um, the third way is about real people. Um, it's about people like Jake in the book. Uh, it's about maybe, maybe like somebody watching right now who has found a way to, you know, they didn't always identify as like a capital E entrepreneur, but they found a way to start a little project um, that makes money. And this project makes money. It becomes an asset for them. They do so without, you know, going into debt, spending a ton of money. Um, this whole thing about how you have to spend money to make money, I don't believe that. I think the time to invest in your business is when your business is taking off not when it's getting started. Um, so these are real people using a skill that they already have, um, finding a way to like transform or adapt that skill to this new economy that we're all finding ourselves in. So about 10 years ago, uh, I published a book called The $100 Startup, which was kind of the story of accidental entrepreneurs or again, just people across middle America, elsewhere, not always in like tech centers, uh, who had found a way you know, to you know, follow their passion, follow their skill, usually together, uh, follow a passion and a skill, and create something monetizable with it uh, through the knowledge that they had, the expertise that they had, through something that they had learned, whether in education or in a job or just through a hobby. Um, and I started telling these people stories uh, because I felt like nobody really was. I felt like there were lots of stories about people like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk now, um, and very few stories about, you know, relatable people who as I said, didn't have access uh, you know, to a lot of capital or resources. And then three years ago, I started this project, a podcast called Side Hustle School, which I've been doing every day since January 1, 2017. And uh, when I started, I was worried that I would run out of examples because you know, every day I'm telling a different story, answering listener questions. Um, again, just like looking at somebody and saying like, here's the, here's the path that they followed. Here's the idea that they had. Here's you know, what happened along the way. Well, I'm 1,200 episodes in and counting and not running out of stories at all. So um, before we go to a more interactive portion or before I have a conversation with Chase, I thought I would just quickly tell you um, a few of these stories. Um, one of the ones I really liked recently uh, was a guy whose name was Dan, and he was a, a line cook in St. Louis, kind of working, you know, in the middle of the night, making pancakes and eggs for people who came in. And whenever, you know, whenever the diner wasn't busy, he would, you know, devote his time to making pancake art. And if he had a customer come in, he had a little bit more time, he would make their pancake, you know, uh, in the shape of some cartoon character or something fun. He just noticed that he got more tips, you know, when he did that. 
And so he started getting really good at it, and a friend came along and said, hey, will you actually come to an event? I don't know if it was a birthday party or something else. Will you come to an event and, and like, do your art? And so he did. And from there, the two of them decided to actually make this a business. Well, about three years in, they were traveling all over the world. And like they were in Dubai last year, a bunch of other places. Um, obviously, they're not traveling as much now. Um, but they built this business to multiple six figures. So this is a guy who is, a, again, a diner cook, you know, in, in a random diner in Missouri. And now he and his, his partner are making six figures from a pretty basic skill, right? But a lot of people can make pancakes. He found a way to kind of level it up. So that's Dan Cakes. You can check him out online. Um, here's another image of one of their creations. It's really elaborate. Um, this guy, Victor de la Flor, is a U.S. Marine who uh, crushed his sunglasses like we have all done at different times, like end up sitting on them or something. And he did it one time too many, and he was like, I keep, I keep doing this. You know, I buy nice sunglasses, and then I end up ruining them. And as a Marine, he had to wear a hat. And so he created this really, really simple product, very simple, like practical product that's providing a solution to a real problem, uh, a 3D printed clip, you know, to secure your sunglasses under a hat. He did so, you know, just kind of bootstrapped, right? Just kind of DIY figuring it out. Um, well, when I featured him last, he had nearly matched his salary as a Marine with this side hustle, right? So he's still, you know, in service, but he's also earning this extra income, which as I said, is quite substantial. Uh, so he has options going forward. You know, maybe he'll go more into this or maybe he'll, he'll just continue earning that extra money to prevent debt, you know, to build security for his future. Uh, one more here. I told this story on my last book tour, um, but I like it so much I keep coming back to it. Uh, this woman in Washington, D.C., Danielle Fang, uh, she was a volunteer going to in-person classes uh, teaching immigrants or tutoring immigrants who were studying to take the U.S. citizenship test. Now, this test is hard. Um, if you are a U.S. citizen, if you were born in the States, you might have a hard time passing it. So you have to have a lot of specific knowledge. Uh, so people really have to study for it. And so one day she started uploading her tutorials to YouTube and more and more people started watching. And then after she had a, you know, enough of an audience, um, you know, YouTube began putting some ads on those videos and she gets a portion of that revenue. So anyway, now she has built this, this business. It's like a you know, service, like she's helping people, but it's also for profit for her. Um, when I last talked to her, she was making something like four to $5,000 a month from this and hundreds of thousands of people are watching these tutorials. And I love this model because you know, she is doing something that she used to do for free, like she was a volunteer, and now she's compensated for it. She's also reaching a lot more people than she ever would otherwise. And the people who are benefiting from this work she does don't pay anything for it because of the model of Google and YouTube, right? So lots of examples like this, um, lots of ways that people have found something that they know about or you know, solved a common problem like the last guy I mentioned. As I said, you know, 1,200 episodes and counting. Keep finding stories. I keep finding more and more. I'm just going to give you a, cup, a quick little overview here, a quick little rundown of a whole bunch of others. I'll go really quickly. And all of these are real businesses. So it's not like somebody has an idea. These are all profitable businesses that I've featured in just the past three months. Uh, somebody was doing accent training. Somebody was doing custom confetti. Um, talked to a woman who was a belly dance instructor. And now she's doing online belly dancing tutorials and like belly dancing virtual bundles, actually doing pretty well with it. Um, a guy who's made a quarter of a million dollars doing drone repairs, um, which I think is really interesting because uh, here's a statistic, uh, approximately 100% of drone owners will crash their drone. So it's a big market, uh, fixing people's drones these days. 
I talked to a New Zealand teenager who was importing speed cubes, which are kind of like Rubik's cubes, but there's a whole, there's a whole like subculture hobby of this. Uh, so he started importing them from China uh, and Australia. Now he's like the main guy in New Zealand selling these, um, earning a good income from it. A woman who's doing photography sessions focused on your Tinder profile, really specific market, but a lot of people who need to improve their dating profile photos. Uh, if you're not into that, there's another woman who is doing dog portraits, right? So, you know, online dating portraits, dog portraits, again, profitable business. Um, a guy whose passion, you know, because everybody's got a thing, his passion was carnivorous plants. And it was really into like, they got the Venus flytrap, but apparently there's a whole lot of others. Like the Venus flytrap is kind of a stereotype in the carnivorous plant world. Uh, so he decided to build the Wikipedia of these plants effectively and created a little exchange where people can like buy and sell and trade. And he earns a commission, you know, on all these, all these trades. So I like that example because it shows like sometimes the more random or the more narrow the topic, the better. And I pull these examples out because people are always like, well, I don't know anything that, you know, other people would be interested in paying for. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. I'm sure you do. And I bet we can figure it out if we just talk it through. Uh, what else did I want to mention here? Let's see. Oh, rent the chicken. That's right. In case you have always wanted to bring a chicken into your home, uh, but weren't sure if you're ready for a lifelong commitment, uh, you can now uh, foster a chicken through a for-profit service uh, where somebody's actually doing you know, pretty well for themselves. Um, so you can check that out if you're interested. And these are not anomalies. You know, you can see there's like so many different topics, uh, so many different things that can be done. And one of my favorite things is to kind of talk with people who think that, you know, they don't have a marketable skill and try to show them an example. Um, and I, I like to teach through examples because it kind of, you know, destroys the excuses. It kind of, it kind of is like, well, I, there's nothing I can do. Well, all these people were able to do it. Well, I don't have any money. Well, a lot of people don't have, have money and they're able to do it. So let's find some, some relatable project and let's see what you can do. I'm going to tell you one more. Um, I really liked working on this story. I called it um, the rise and fall of birdsupplies.com, um, which you can go there if you want, but we might all crash the website if we visit at once. Uh, so the woman who's been running this site, she's actually had it for, for a long time. I forget how many years, more than 10 years, might be 15 years or more. And when she first started this site, um, she, you know, she was the, the go-to spot, the source on the internet for, well, it's a spoiler, bird supplies. Um, and she did really well with that for a while. Um, but then, uh, I, think, I think she actually made like six figures from it. But then she came to, uh, she became the victim of an algorithm change by Google, which is a whole other thing, a whole business lesson we could talk about there. The point is her income greatly dropped. Um, and then she found a way to kind of reinvent herself. And she decided to focus uh, specifically on parrots, not just all birds, but parrots. And appar apparently um, parrots have a lot of behavioral issues. So she began writing eBooks, a series of eBooks, uh, specifically addressing parrot behavioral issues. Um, these are all real products. Um, is your screaming parrot driving you nuts? A couple of examples here. Uh, do parrots have emotions? This parrot is longing to go home to Canada, I believe. As she went along, she improved her design. So you got why parrots pluck their feathers. And uh, then the perennial bestseller here, uh, why is my parrot biting me? Um, so all of these eBooks sell every day, you know, hundreds of dollars in sales. Um, it's about a 95% profit margin when you're selling something like this. So again, very hyper-specialized topic. Um, and, you know, about that profit margin, by the way, um, you know, in my great wisdom as a traditional author, I earn about 14% from my books. Um, so she's doing, you know, as I said, 90 to 95% profit margin. Kind of inspired me, actually, because um, in this, in this uh, 
time, I have to also, you know, be willing to change and, and adjust and adapt. And so I wanted to do something special here for Creative Live. Uh, in addition to talking about the money tree, I thought I would give you just a, a special sneak peek of um, my book that's coming out in the fall, uh, Feather Plucking for Fun and Profit, uh, Get Rich or Die Flying. Uh, so you can, you can pre-order that at a certain point, uh, but first, uh, first focus on the money tree. So the whole point, this is possible. This is possible. There are a lot of people doing it. There's a way that you can do it too. There is something that you can do if you've never thought of yourself as you know, being a business owner or entrepreneur. That's not what it's about. It's about creating freedom. It's about creating freedom for yourself, for your family perhaps, for your future. Uh, in this world of uncertainty, that's what it's all about. So here's one quick minute about the book, maybe 90 seconds, let's say, uh, and then I'll have a conversation with Chase and then take whatever questions you have. Uh, my one request is like, I'm trying to get this out to as many people as possible, um, both in terms of the, the book, just because it's, it's a weird time to, to like debut a book. 99% uh, of the media attention in the world is focused on a single topic right now. So it's kind of hard to break through. I was supposed to do the 40 city tour, you know, now I'm not. I really want to reach people with the book. Um, but, you know, more important is, like, I hope the book is actually going to help people. And I want to help people in this situation of financial pressure. So a couple things we can do. I've um, got something coming out that's not ready just yet. Uh, but I, I will announce it here for the first time, more than just, the, you know, my new ebook. Um, we're creating an online book registry, uh, the world's first blockchain-enabled online book registry uh, to allow people, uh, two groups of people, to come to the site at moneytreebook.com. Uh, if you are experiencing any financial pressure, if you have lost your job, if you have significant debt, or you know, you're just worried, because a lot of people are, um, then you can put your name down uh, to receive a free copy of the book. And then anybody else uh, who would like to be a donor, be a book donor, can come and purchase you know, one copy, five copies, 10 copies, whatever, uh, for any of those people. And you can purchase them for someone you know or for a stranger. And if uh, people choose to opt in, then we're going to have a way to share their, their uh, information so you can actually get to know the person who you've given books to or have received a book from. Um, there's a post online with the hashtag moneytreebook.com. So as I said, that registry is not ready yet, um, but uh, it will be shortly. And uh, I will also be contributing to it, by the way. Um, I will be contributing my author royalties, such as they are, uh, for the first three months, everything that comes through this process to Teach for America uh, and another organization that we haven't announced yet. Uh, but 100% of my profits will be going to that. And I'm also going to be investing and in, in buying copies of my book for people who need them, which is kind of backwards now that I think about it. So I really should listen to my podcast at some point. Um, but the point is, uh, I really am invested with this, uh, this book and this message. And I want to help people you know, navigate this time so that we can come out of it and be better than we were before. That we can come out of it saying like, wow, that time sucked in lots of ways. But yet, it also kind of enabled me or nudged me or push me towards something that I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. Um, that, is, that is my hope for you know, so many people out there. I really believe, as I said, we're gonna see lots of transformational shifts. So as I wrap up here, um, I wanted to share something with, this is the last thing, like if you only remember one thing from our time together, I thought about asking um, you know, to pop your answer to this in the chat, and if you have your answer already, you can do that. Um, but this is, not the, this is like a more complicated question than like, what did you eat for breakfast today? So I totally understand if you don't have a, an immediate answer to this question and you want to think about it for a while. The question is, you know, what is your life motto in four words? And the reason I bring this up is because I realized recently what mine was, which I'll share with you here. And uh, when, I, when I kind of encapsulated it, I was like, oh yeah, this is how I've been living my life the whole way, the, my whole this is how I've been living my whole life, um, but I never had a way to just codify it like this. And so my answer, what I wanted to share with you is, 
like whatever you're going through, um, whatever you're experiencing, uh, whatever path you're on, whatever you're trying to figure out, my forward you know, life motto is there is another way. There is a conventional path. There is the path that you know about. There is you know, the path and the options that people have presented to you or shared with you. There you know, are all the things that you are supposed to do or expected to do or assumed to do. And all those things are fine. It's not like, as I said, they're all a liar. They're all wrong or bad. I just want you to know that there is another way. There really is. And when we're in this time now, this time of uncertainty, anxiety, there is another way. There is a way through, right? If you are experiencing that pressure, if you are like, man, I don't know what to, what to do next, you know, short term, long term, like I don't have every single answer for you. Part of the, the, part of the value of self-reliance is like, you know, let's, let's all figure it out together. Um, but there really is another way. So I hope, as I said at the beginning, uh, that we can all come through this, look back and say, all right, you know, I'm better now than I was uh, before. And I want to do everything I can uh, to support people in that. So this slide says thank you, um, which I think reminds me that I should say thank you to uh, Chase, thank you to the Creative Live team, and thank you to everybody out there uh, who is watching uh, from wherever you are uh, in the world. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a standing ovation here in this, you know, this room. I'm just imagining it. <laughs> Amazing, man. Thank you so much for that uh and as you were thanking people we literally have people from all over the world mm -hmm. we've got people from scandinavia people mm -hmm. from south africa uh, i see some europe we we've got the full gamut here so awesome. thank you so much for um reaching such a uh diverse and inclusive audience um we've been friends for a long time mm -hmm. and one of the questions i'm seeing in the chat and one of the questions that i had if you remember we sat down over uh, an Italian meal the last time you were in mm -hmm. Seattle when we could actually be within six feet of each other <laughs> right. uh, and breaking bread. And um, we were talking about the money tree. And oh. one of the questions that I have that I, I, I know is, is true for others is this is, this is a fiction book that oh. you've written here right. and you've embedded these lessons in a story. Mm -hmm. So what made you take that route and um, how much fun or extra hard work was it? Two, two part question. It was, it was extra fun and extra hard work. It was both. Um, I, I got the idea at some point. I don't remember exactly what the origin was, uh, but I started thinking about a story, right? And it, it is a story. I'm trying to teach through storytelling. My hope is that people will read this book who might not read you know, a how-to book or a business book, but who need this information, right? Who need, it's not just information, right? They need a path. They need like some, they need to believe in themselves and they don't understand that this, is, this world is accessible to them because they've never thought of themselves, you know, as going down that, that entrepreneurial path. And so often uh, stories are, are far more effective, you know, than a, than a how-to book. And they're often more memorable. Like you can remember a lot, a lot of stories uh, more easily than you can remember like a six-step, you know, checklist. And so I started thinking about that main character, Jake, uh, and I spent maybe three months uh, just kind of outlining some ideas before I wrote anything, um, outlining ideas, thinking through characters, thinking through plot, and just really trying to, to hone it and make it really sharp. And then I, I wrote the whole book um, before I ever showed my agent or my editor, which normally in nonfiction uh, publishing, you, you write a little proposal, like here's what the book's gonna be about, and you go away and actually write the book. So I did it the other way around. I wanted to actually you know, first prove to myself that I could do this, write something that I felt uh, that was, was high quality. 
Uh, and then just like, then, then kind of say, okay, here it is. Like, what do you guys think? And I was very happy that, um, that people really believed in it uh, at the publishing side. Um, but yes, it was, it was a lot of fun because I hadn't done it before. And it was also a lot of work. I think I wrote maybe seven or eight drafts of this book. And normally I'll write about three drafts, maybe four drafts. Um, so I put a lot into it. Um, so I, I, think, I think there are lessons. I think you can read it and be entertained and be inspired. Um, but hopefully you'll also kind of go away with a sense of, oh, here's what I can do next uh, in my life. Well, it was. I found it incredibly inspirational. Someone who's written a book and knows how hard it is, <laughs> right. um, and and finished this book was the storytelling was amazing. Mm. Um, but there's a little meta lesson that I found in there, which is you took a risk mm. in in putting this out there in sure. a new format, new to you, and that is so much about what you speak about, what you write about is people taking risks to tap into whatever it is they're mm. passionate. It's just getting, getting started doing something instead of nothing. That's a huge mm. theme in the book. So mm. were you, is this a process of taking your own medicine? Absolutely. I mean, it is a bit of a risk creatively and, and in the publishing world, just like in any industry, it's like once you get on, on, a, on a certain track, that's the track you're supposed to stay on, you know, and you can achieve a certain amount of success as long as you're on that track. Uh, but there's no guarantee if you jump tracks, you know, you're going to be successful. But, uh, you know, for me, it's not about success, quote unquote success. It's about, you know, meaning and purpose, doing something that I believe in, creative work. You know, obviously anybody uh, watching Creative Live believes in that value. Um, and I, I just feel it, I feel it's needed, you know, and so I hope the book sells well, like I, I want my books to do well, but ultimately I want, want it to reach, you know, the right people. Uh, so whether it's a risk or not, it's something that I'm very happy to, to do. So let's, let's talk about the third way. And mm -hmm. you, you recounted in your prezo, you know, ways one and two. Do you feel like the third way is, is it the future? Is it, you know, just by the title itself, like the third way, it means it's another way. Right. But is it is that more what the future is going to look like? I mean, let's just to be, mm. be super blunt. Sure. We're entering a time where we can't go back to a lot of things the way they used to be. Mm -hmm. Some form of sort of normalcy will return, but we've we've shifted gears and we're mm. on to a completely different universe. So is, is the third way a, a, a growing part of the future or because we've been hit with this pandemic is going to scare people away? Yeah, I'm glad you said uh, what you just mentioned about how we're not going to go back, you know, to the way things were. I think that's really important to stress. Um, and a lot of industries are not going to be the same. A lot of a lot of jobs are not going to be the same. And so, you know, if you're in a situation like that, I think you know the wrong thing to do. Uh, you know, if you're in the an industry that has has taken a market decline, you know, the wrong thing to do is to, is to just kind of wait it out, right? The wrong thing to do is like fight reality and wait it out. Um, I talked to somebody. Um, the other day, who is um, a flight attendant, you know, and, and he asked me, he's like, when do you think travel is going to pick up again? And I'm like, you know, just to be honest with you, I think it's going to be a long time. I think it's going to be a very long time. I think it's not going to be the same. And if anybody tells you that, you know, it's going to be okay and what you should be doing right now is putting your flight attendant resume on LinkedIn and contacting other airlines, I think they're just trying to make you feel better. Yeah. So you need to understand, like, it's going to be different, as you said, you know, Chase. And then, you know, as for the third way, well, I think it's, it's both the, the present and the future. And in some ways, it's the past. Like, I like to always be, be, be um, clear when I talk about this kind of stuff. Um, we often present entrepreneurial models from a very Western perspective. And I've spent, you know, a lot of time traveling the world, going to some really poor countries, lived in a number of poor countries before in, in Liberia and Sierra Leone uh, on a hospital ship in West Africa. And in those countries... The majority of countries in the world, in fact, um, if you kind of go out of the, the city and you go into the village, 
you know, everybody has a, has a micro entrepreneurial project. You know, every person there is, is, you know, side hustling and buying and selling and trading. And, and this kind of commerce has existed since, since commerce, you know, has existed, you know, since the beginning of, of time or since people were buying and selling. So the reason I say that is because like this has been happening a long time in lots of different parts of the world. What's different now is, you know, access to networks, connectivity, globalization, uh, e-commerce becoming mainstream, um, just the idea of people being able to do this, you know, is now mainstream, which, which is good. Like the, the, the joke I tell, which, which is true, my parents are probably watching, hey mom, uh, like 20 years ago when I was working um, for myself, because I've always worked for myself, I was 19, starting to sell things online with eBay, like I didn't know anybody else who was doing this. Like I couldn't go to a coffee shop and see like somebody else, you know, they're working on their consulting business. And so I think my parents were kind of worried about me. I think they were kind of like, we, we know Chris is doing something on the internet, but we hope it's not bad. You know, we hope it's not drugs or porn, you know? And I was like, there's more than two in industries, you know, on the internet, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, but now nobody thinks that way because in every coffee shop or, you know, if you can't go to a coffee shop now, everywhere people are like starting their own little website. They've got their stuff, you know. So that's what's different. And is it the future where more people create their own dependence and security and, you know, can point to an external source of income like the U.S. Marine that I mentioned? It's not like he doesn't have a fulfilling job. He's doing this in addition to that. Um, I, I hope that more people, you know, will do that because uh, it, it just makes their life better. Amazing. Um, so I finished the book this morning, uh, and I, I wanted, I specifically saved the last 40 pages for, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy. Thank you so much for getting me one of those. And just so it was extra fresh for me and, um, I couldn't help but go back and, uh, I've got a lot of dog-eared pages here, but one of the things that I, again, I happened to um, know you personally and have for a decade or mm -hmm. so, and that's um, I'm grateful for that. But I also saw things that I was weaving in in my mind, like oh, this is there's an autobiographical sensibility here, and mm. I, I don't think that there's that is it's certainly not a one to one. But how much of the book mm -hmm. um, you, did you feel like you layered in there? intentionally and I'm, mm. I'm i'm guessing as your friend that there's some stuff that maybe it was unintentional sure. but of course i'm just presuming so sure, um sure. just talk about the uh, you know how personal uh some of the writing was for you i mean it, well, it was very personal because of the nature of it being fiction it's not that i said that the the main character jake or any other character you know is based on me i think i can see parts of myself in you know in all the characters i mean there's a there's a character who's not very nice as well and i can see parts of myself in, in that guy you know to be honest right to be fair so it's not meant to be uh you know autobiographical in that sense but uh, you know, one of the things that, that Jake has to do in the beginning is his mentor Clarence challenges him to make a thousand dollars in the next week. And and at first, you know, Jake is like, "Well, I, how do I do that? If I knew how to make a thousand dollars, I wouldn't be in this you know, position." Um, but you know, basically, Clarence says, "Figure it out." You know, and so uh, Jake starts selling his textbooks, his old college economics textbooks, uh, on an online auction site. And you know, that's what I did. You know, 20 years ago, essentially. Um, and then he realizes from there he can see what the other auctions are, you know, selling for and then buying and selling arbitrage, et cetera. Uh, so, I mean, I have some experiences like that. And then the middle portion of the book takes place in Ethiopia, uh, which, you know, the continent of Africa is, is very close and personal to me. And so Ethiopia is different from West Africa, but still some of that is there. That said, you know, one of the things I've been hearing from some of the advanced readers, uh, like some of the people who are on Side Hustle School, we sent them a copy of the book. Uh, they're saying that, you know, even if they are not 
you know, like the, the main character, they're a different kind of person demographically, they can see themselves in that person. So a friend of mine, Shannon Mattern, Mattern uh, from Ohio, I think she said she's 41, 42. She's like, I'm a 41-year-old woman, and I connect very, very much, you know, to Jake, the 28-year-old guy, because I was in a similar situation, and I was in a corporate environment like his, and I had to find my way out, and nobody was telling me what to do, but I eventually figured it out. So my hope is that it's relatable uh, to, to really anybody who's experiencing some kind of, of struggle. Oh, it's incredibly relatable as someone who's struggling to uh, adapt to a changing world. We had Creative Live. Uh, right. We stood up Creative Live TV in just a week and are mm -hmm. broadcasting live awesome. from the homes all over the place. Me personally, my wife, Kate, who you know well, uh, mm -hmm. finally got, I got kicked out of the, off the living room table <laughs> or the dining room table down into uh, a sped, spare bedroom downstairs. So there's a lot of, lot of change. Um, and I think we're all trying to find um, a, a new normal. Mm -hmm. um, with respect, you know, I want to go back to this, um, your writing of the book, because I think that process, uh, you talked about briefly, mm -hmm. you, you put a lot of extra juice into this mm -hmm. one, eight revisions or something like that. Um, I think that there's a lot to understand about anything when you un uncover the process. Mm -hmm. So did the fact that you rewrote this eight times instead of the three or four that you normally would in a nonfiction book, is was that a signal of you know, the amount of um, insight that you were trying to put in the book? Was it a, a fact, a factor of just being new and different? Mm -hmm. What was the, that extra work that you put in? I know when we're trying to learn new things, which is so much about, you know, there's a big part of your book, um, you know, Jake's trying to learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I, I like this meta narrative of, is this you learning a new skill and are we going to see more fiction from you <laughs> in the future? Yeah. I'm not sure about the last thing. Um, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. I really liked it. Um, so we'll see what happens next. But as for that like work process, I think it's probably a combination of all those things you mentioned. Um, I did get some really good input uh, about it. I mean, definitely my agent and editor really kind of contributed some really sharp comments on the final drafts that I think made it a better process. So I do want to acknowledge, acknowledge that. Um, but I think uh, with, interesting with the thing with fiction, just like a lot of other creative work, is there's, there's lots of different ways you can do it. It's not like there's a one right way. You know, you don't come to the, this is the 100% optimal path. So I think for me, it was just like, what is the best way, you know, what is the best way for me to tell this story and to be, be proud of it and to feel like I found the right balance of, of like entertainment uh, and inspiration where people could read it and just enjoy the story uh, while also learning something. Like here's something I didn't want to do. I'll, I'll tell you this about process. I didn't want to, um, you know, include at the end of each chapter, like, hey, here's what you should have learned during this chapter, you know, which is a common thing in books, you know, like the three bullet points at the end, which I always find kind of annoying, you know, I think I've done it before. So, but just to be transparent, it's like, um, you know, you read the chapter and it's like, hey, here are the three things you should have learned in the chapter. Did you really learn them? Just want to make sure. Did you learn? Here it is again. So I just, I don't have anything like that at all. It's like meant to just be like, let's enjoy this experience. Let's immerse ourselves in this experience. Um, but hopefully come away at the end being like, okay, now what, what am I going to do with, with my life next? Amazing. Um, if you're just joining us or if you're watching on a different platform as we're streaming this, not just here at, uh, at Creative Live, but we're pushing this to our social channels, some of Chris's. Um, welcome, first of all. And I'm Chase Jarvis, the founder and CEO of Creative Live, and have the very good fortune of talking to my dear friend Chris Gilbo about his new book, The Money Tree. Um, and anyone in the world, wherever you're hearing this right now, seeing it, whatever, you can pop over to creativelive.com slash Chris. And that will allow you to uh, view the page in Creative Live, which will also allow you to join 
the chat here and all you have to do is up in the upper right hand corner click join chat and that will allow you to ask questions for the question and answer section which is coming shortly here in the next i don't know 20 minutes or so i've already got a long queue of questions but if you put your questions in there we're monitoring them i'm monitoring them and we'll be happy to consider them um okay so away from process now and a little bit more towards um some of the lessons in the book, uh, I, what I observed is that you pulled so many different aspects of your previous, I don't know how many, six books, five, six mm -hmm. books now. Um, and this, this overlap, I want to go back to, I think it was in Born for This, this overlapping Venn diagram of, I think you called it money, flow, and... Joy. Joy, yeah. Um, this area, uh, these different pieces of our individual personalities mm -hmm. where we can find the thing that we're supposed to do for those people, you know, like Jake, who are comfortable in their job and want to have uh, a side hustle. Mm -hmm. um, can you walk us through that? I, that's still the most profound way to for, for that I know of. Um, I've adopted it. I was I always credit you, but just so you <laughs> know, um, but just for. Like for the people right now who are saying, oh, cool, this, I'm, I'm bought into this idea. I want to have a side hustle. I just don't know how or where to look. So yeah. can you coach us on that? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. I mean, it's, it's, I appreciate you saying you, you bought into it, but I actually think you were one of the inspirations for it when I was thinking about like, what, what is this trifecta and who is living it, who is living it out? So the trifecta Thanks, is, is uh, you know, as you said, joy, money, and flow. And these are the three elements that I think, you know, contribute to to meaning and purpose, you know, and, and some amount of happiness, but that's a different topic. So meaning and purpose, joy, it's like you're doing something that you love to do. You like, you, you like doing something. It's not that you're passionate about 100% of aspects of everything that you do, your job and stuff, but overall, it's like this is what you like. And money is this element of, of being sustainable, right? You're doing something that actually, you know, compensates you because in the world that we live, we need money to exchange for other stuff. And then flow is this, this uh, skill that you have that is just you know, so sharp and something that you're really good at, maybe something that is easy to you, but other people find it difficult, uh, something that you can just really immerse yourself in and like, this is the work that I, I love to do. And I think when you find that, like that is the goal, like we're all on this like journey to find it and maybe you never reach it, right? But you're always trying to get closer and closer to the intersection between the, these three things. And in life, you know, you can sometimes be satisfied with only two of them. And there can be sometimes that you go through a season where you're like, man, I, I just got to, I, I actually need to really make some money right now. I don't care what it is. I don't have to be good at it. I don't have to love it. Um, and then other times, you know, it might be one of the others, but ultimately what we want is all, all three of those things. So as it comes, as it like pertains to like, you know, what, what is my side hustle? What is it that I'm going to choose? There's, there's a number of exercises we can go through about identifying your skills and such. And what, it, you know, what are the skills you have that are marketable? How are you going to transfer those, transform those skills into a product or a service that we offer to people? Um, but that's also about an intersection of I really like to do this thing and it is valuable. It's not just both. It's not just one. It's like, I really like to do this thing and other people also find it marketable and valuable. I'm not just like doing something for myself. I'm doing something that is contributing in a way. And usually you can talk that through with people and help them kind of understand what the, the intersection is. Amazing. <laughs> I still, I, I, I feel like I point to that book and to you, uh, maybe not daily, but certainly weekly. Uh, it's just a really elegant answer to the question. Um, there's this, uh, a theme in the book. I'm just going to grab one particular page here. Um, check how you say it. Um, without, it's just being, I'm going to put it in a slightly different words because you use it really eloquently in the book, but just 
you're you're more capable than you give yourself credit for. Mm. And mm -hmm. it's a very powerful theme in the book. I see it in mm -hmm. your work. You know, the, the World Domination Summit to me is one of the mm -hmm. most profound uh, events um, that I've ever attended. Uh, this is where you bring thousands mm -hmm. of people together to set world records and to um, just observe what when some committed, hardworking people come together, what's what's possible. Mm -hmm. So for the folks at home, uh, you know, things like imposter syndrome, if you've arrived, um, mm -hmm. self-doubt, just negative self-talk, mm -hmm. I think. I want to know, and it's a. I think it's a popular question. So it's something that's getting talked about in the chat room right now. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. how, how how do you, you know, do you have a prescription for overcoming mm -hmm. that? How do you remedy it yourself? Uh, to talk to us about how you think about it. I don't have a prescription or a remedy. It's something that coexists, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of other creatives, it's it's not about like pushing through it or, or pretending that it's not there. It's 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 more like what is the higher value. So yes, you know, I, I experience doubt and negative self-worth all the time. You know, I mean, I, I've gone through a lot of stuff and I've talked about that a little bit, you know, just even like mental health issues and depression and anxiety. And I think people need to talk about that, that stuff more. So, you know, those things can, can be there. And at the same time, you know, you can, you have a desire to do something more. You have this aspiration. You have a feeling within yourself that you are meant for more, right? Like there is more to life than this, whatever this is that's around you. And so in the book, that theme that you mentioned, like the way I explain it in the book is you can do more than you think. And it's just a kind of recurring, you know, mantra, um, recurring like slogan that's kind of presented. And that's, that's certainly been the case in my life. Like I never thought that I would go to every country in the world. I never thought that I'd be speaking to like all, all these people around the world. Um, not at all. I just did one thing. I did the thing that was in front of me. I think this is always good advice. Like do the thing that's in front of you right now. If you have one small idea, don't worry about like, don't criticize this idea or analyze it to death. You know, just do that thing. And if you, if that leads you to something else, then do the next thing. And that's, that's what I did with everything in terms of starting the blog you know, 11 years ago. I said, you know, I want to like one day have a thousand people that read my blog. That was what I wrote in the very first post of chrisgillibo.com. You know, and I said, maybe one day I want to write a book right? Like one book, you know? And so now here we are. Now we got the summit, all the other stuff. And it's because I did the thing that was in front of me and kept doing that over and over and over. The last thing I want to say about imposter syndrome is, you know, for that person out there who has, has that dream, that aspiration, that inkling, that sense, maybe you don't even know what it is. It's just a sense, you know, it's just a sense like there's something more for me. I think if you don't pursue that thing, that's when you are being an imposter because the real you the authentic you, that, that's where that, that authenticity is in pursuing that idea, even if you don't know where it, where it leads. You know? And if you choose to turn your back on that, then you are rejecting a big part of yourself. And you don't want to do that. So it's actually the true self that is you know, leading you towards saying yes, and it's, it's, the, it's the imposter that holds you back. What are the biggest ways that people hold themselves back? I think it comes mm -hmm. in lots of forms. And yeah. as someone who's you know coached people online and mm -hmm. written about that sort of uh, extensively, even mm -hmm. sometimes overtly, sometimes not so overtly, what are, what are some of the biggest ways that you see in your community people uh, not not doubling down on their own self? They focus on obstacles. They focus on limitations. They say, "Here are all the reasons why I can't do this." Oh, I would really like to do this, but this is in my way. You know, I don't have access to this resource or this knowledge or, you know, whatever it is. Like I'm focusing on these obstacles. That's one, you know, one way. So, you know, the way around that is like to demolish the obstacles. So let's, let's move this out of the way. Let's move. Oh, you don't have a lot of money. Okay. Well, look at all these other people that did this. You know, what can you do without spending a lot of money? In fact, you shouldn't spend money. So that's one thing. I think another thing is, um, 
just extensive analysis. You know, and I know like in, in certain certain worlds, I know finance and like in the startup world, like validation and such is so important. Uh, but for a lot of people and a lot of projects for doing the thing that's in front of them right now, they just need to do it. And I think research is often like a code word for avoidance. You know, it's like I need to do a bunch of research. We really just kind of putting something off. You know, it's like research avoidance. I'm going to go to graduate school. This is like, you know, a way to defer two years of your life, you know, to not make any decisions effectively. So anything you can do to be to like not do that, I think, I think is good. I am typing that quote into the chat right now. <laughs> research is code word for avoidance. Um, and if you haven't yet, now is a great time to order the book for those watching. Um, if you're on the, the class page uh, or um, just there's about a, a third of the way down below the video window, there's a link to go check it out at Amazon. Um, the book drops this coming Tuesday, but pre-orders mean a lot to authors. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and whether you can support your local bookstore and you, you know their URL, wherever you might be, mm -hmm. you know, Powell's or book people or wherever you are, mm -hmm. um, that link um, is available right there in the middle of the page at creativelive.com slash Chris. So I'm sure Chris would appreciate uh, you, you picking up a copy. Thank you. Of course. Um, I want to keep exploring this thread of obstacles. Um, part of the... Um, I hear people list resources that they don't have mm. money mm -hmm. i hear you know time i don't have enough uh friends i don't have an audience to sell my thing to mm -hmm. for the people that see this um you know you talked about hurdles but to me there's a whole bunch of things that are um that are resources that the the belief like oh i don't i, I don't have an investor mm -hmm. right S so would you tell us a story of oh story time with Chris? Great. Would you tell us a story mm. of how you started just one of your things, maybe WDS, mm -hmm. and, and so we can actually get into the mind of the entrepreneur? Because I'm guessing that you too lacked resources, and mm -hmm. it'd be good to hear um, yeah. what what you did. Yeah, I think uh, I think I want to tell a slightly different story than WDS, just because WDS sure. is uh, like a community gathering. It's a nonprofit. You know, I love it, but I want to focus on like a money-making kind of example for somebody. So when I started writing my blog, The Art of Nonconformity, it was completely non-commercial. Um, it was very poorly written. I had to just figure things out as I go. So you know, your first blog is always going to be bad. Your first podcast, whatever it is, that's you got to get started. Um, and it's all there. Like people want to go back and look. It's you know, it's still preserved. So it was all non-commercial. I did you know, kind of vague and stuff. But at a certain point, I started writing about my travels and going to every country in the world. And a couple of times, I would delve into some logistics of like, oh, here's how I booked this round-the-world plane ticket because I was really into this thing called travel hacking. I was a geek about frequent flyer miles and you know, mistake fares and round-the-world tickets. And there's a whole like industry about that now. But you know, 12 years ago, it was much more nascent. And so I'd write a little bit about that, and I got a lot of questions. Like people were asking me a lot, of, like like disproportionate number of questions about this, and I was like, huh, maybe there's something to this. And so, you know, I started, you know, creating some eBooks, not not eBooks about parrots, but eBooks about you know round the world travel and such. And I, I sold them like with a super soft sell. I had the softest sell possible. I was like, hey, I've got this thing, but don't worry if you don't want to buy it, you don't have to buy it. It's okay, you know, um, if it's really, you know, if you're really interested in it, go go here. And 
like the first one I put out, it was like, I sold like a thousand dollars worth and I was without trying to sell it, you know, and I was like, Oh, this is like, this is interesting. So I started just kind of like, you know, delving into that more and ended up creating a membership site called the travel hacking cartel that I operated for a number of years. Um, it's now closed, but did that. And, and so the point there is I paid attention to what people were recognizing and paid attention to what people were asking me. And I never really thought, I just didn't assume that that would be a marketable, you know, area of expertise, but because people kept asking me. So I find a lot of stories actually on Side Hustle School come about because uh, people's friends or colleagues or family, you know, are asking them for something, right? They're at, like, they're asking them for knowledge or for a product, or there was a woman in California who uh, baked cheesecake and made enough cheesecake to pay for her college, like a lot, a lot of money, right? And it was because, you know, she made cheesecake for a while and her friends, oh, this is really good. You should, you know, give it to, you know, give me one to take to work and give me one. So she kind of just expanded from there. So paying attention to what people ask you and it's like a recognizing you as an authority and also a de- expressing a demand. And for anybody who's wondering about that travel hacking stuff, you've got two classes on Creative That's Live. Right. One, uh, become a travel hacker, and the second, make your dream trip a reality. So mm-hmm. if you go to that little, uh, that little, what is that, a magnifying glass on the Creative Life site, <laughs> and you type in Chris G-U-I, just start typing your name, your name will populate, and you can check out those classes. They are spectacular. Um, so there's, the, I want to go back a little bit now to this, like this overlapping sort of three things and the story that you just told, yeah. because an element of both of those is creating for yourself, but listening mm. to yeah. the market. And, you know, what's, what's the, it seems to me to be some alchemy rather mm-hmm. than a, a, you know, it's, it's not necessarily science and it's not mm-hmm. just art, right. but there's this, what, what, I perceive in you is just this strong sense of intuition mm. and then also an awareness of the community that you built around your products, early art of nonconformity, mm. um, the travel hacking cartel. I, you just, you talk about it so eloquently, but I think there's two really distinct ingredients there. So, um, help us understand how you balance those two things. So I really think intuition is, is probably I don't know if it's, I would say it's overrated, but it's more something that's developed. Like you, you gain intuition. It's not innate. You gain intuition by trial and error and experience and by trying a bunch of stuff and seeing what doesn't work, then maybe the next time you have a little bit more knowledge or awareness of, of what might work. So this is something that everybody can develop. This is not something that is bestowed upon, you know, special people. Um, I often say that the most important skill people can develop if they're, they're learning to spot entrepreneurial ideas, um, is curiosity which is really just a trait, but it's not something that is taught. But if you can develop your sense of, of observation and noticing problems and listening, as you said, um, and then the second part is taking action on that. Like if, you, if you're paying attention and taking action, you're going to go far in life. You're going to be able to do a lot of different stuff. So there's nothing special about this. You know, there's nothing special. Uh, I think the other thing is that things are always changing over time, right? And um, the example that I used to give, I wrote about this in $100 Startup. This is really funny now because... I said, you know, you can't just follow any passion, right? Like you have, you, you, there's lots of stuff that you might be good at, but nobody else is going to care about it. And I said, when I was 20, I was really into playing video games and I was good at playing video games, very passionate, <laughs> uh, but nobody was coming along to like give me a check and say, hey, Chris, you know, go play video games or whatever. So it's like you fast forward, you know, 20 years and now people are actually getting paid to play, play video games. Insane yeah, money. They're getting paid like I, millions of dollars. I know. Like, <laughs> like I missed, pro I missed, athletes. I missed my calling, I think. Uh, so... There's always something there. So, but, but keep talking about that because I feel like 
this this is something that people don't get. Like, what does it mean to uh, develop your curiosity? Like, mm-hmm. re- keep going. Real life example. Please. Yeah. Okay. I mean, actually, let's talk about that. So the 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 joke the, the joke about the video games. So even though these people are getting paid, like we're talking about Twitch streamers or anybody else, um, to ostensibly ostensibly play video games, really what they're doing, if you look at it and analyze it, like we've done on a couple of case studies on the podcast, um, they are community builders. And so it's not in most cases that they are, are better gamers than every other person on the planet. What they do is they spend a lot of time cultivating community and connection and chatting with people. And people are going to watch their streams because they have a sense of belonging and identity to it. That, that is what the value is. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. They think mm-hmm. it's just, just the games or just the whatever it is. Um, and so in this day and age, like now, people are asking, um, sometimes a question I get a lot is like, what are the opportunities right now? And... People tend to think of practical stuff. They're like, well, I wish I had invested in, you know, uh, Zoom or some other, you know, web conferencing thing, you know, years ago. Uh, I wish I had started that hand sanitizer company I dreamed of when I was a kid. But I think what's more, you know, to go deeper, people are looking for connection. They're looking for community. They are looking for that, that shared belonging and identity, however we can find it since we are socially distancing and all that stuff right now. So that is the, like... That's the opportunity. So if you're trying to develop your curiosity, what can you do to contribute to one small part of that issue? Not solving the problem for the world, but what can you do with, you know, the five people that you know or your 50 friends on Facebook or, or whatever it is? You, you talk at length. You've already talked about it a little bit in our conversation and in your writing is about the relentless willingness to just take the next step, mm-hmm. not to see the whole staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a world where, or is there a time in your life? We want to know that Chris isn't mm-hmm. perfect. Sure. <laughs> was there a time where you, you know, you told yourself a big story about mm-hmm. how everything was going to go, mm. and it went very differently than that? Yeah, that's a great question. There's probably many times like that. I'm just, I want to think about it for a second, so I give you a, a real answer. I mean, the, the the situation that I'm that I'm in right now is a lot different than than I expected, and in the sense that like on, on Monday I was supposed to be in San Francisco and then LA and Chicago and Denver. Like I have the whole itinerary memorized, you know, like my, I had 35 plane tickets booked and, you know, hotels and venues and such. And so when I realized I had to, to postpone that, I was uh, disappointed, you know, I was sad. And then, you know, about a day later I was like, okay, I have, like, I can't change it. This is obviously without outside of my control. So if I am, if I just focus on that, I'm going to be miserable. You know, it's like, there's a quote about like, you're not sure what the key to being, you know, happy is, but the key to being unhappy is to like try to control stuff that you can't, you know? And I heard another quote the other day about like, it's not the future that produces our anxiety. It's our attempt to control the future that produces anxiety. And so I had to like reframe and said, okay, I was going to do all this thing. What am I going to do now? So the commitment that I've made, I'm still kind of fleshing it out, but the commitment that I've made is, you know, in, in April and May, I was going to be on the road, you know, for all those, all those six to eight weeks. I'm going to spend the same amount of time that I was going to spend, you know, speaking at events, you know, every night. I'm going to spend the same amount of time just showing up and being present and doing live streaming and, you know, doing meetings for people who are out of work or struggling um, speaking to groups remotely, you know, just, just being there, you know, and all, and all for free, right? Just, just trying to be, be present. And I think, you know, that'll be interesting, right? Like, I'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But it's not what I expected. Um, it's definitely like a detour. And at the same time, like, there has to be a way, a way forward. Amazing. All right. And speaking, I, I loved how you took that question and applied it right now. I think mm-hmm. this, it's so prescient. And to, to continue pulling on that thread, um, 
one of the things that we promised with this class, this, this um, global international book release that we're a part of right now, um, you know, on, on the class page, you say, who is this event for? And it's for people who are working remotely for the first time. Mm-hmm. So can you give some specific advice to those people? Like mm-hmm. you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm used to going into the office and yep. pulling my pants on and, <laughs> you know, combing my hair and going out. And now, you know, people are getting dressed from here up yep. and, right. and we've got all kinds of different. So, um, what would you, uh, what, what info would you give to those working remotely for the first time? Yeah, and there's that, that time of day, you know, you've got the sunset and lunchtime and sun, sunrise, sunset, lunchtime, and then the time of day when you change from your morning pajamas <laughs> to your evening pajamas. Uh, I, I think um, it, it's good to recognize that this is hard for some people. And, you know, for some people, it's, it's well, I think for everyone, it's a real opportunity. But there is a group of people that is like really excited about it. And, like I've been asking my boss to remote to work remotely for years. They've always said no. And now they have no choice, you know, so they're really jumping into it. But I think a lot of people who are just more accustomed to an office environment or another environment with a lot of like in-person collaboration, people who might be more extroverted, um, then they are struggling a bit, you know, and it, it, it's hard to adjust to the, the different routine and such. So, uh, I mean, so big picture and then practical. Big picture is see it as an opportunity. Um, if you have extra time now for whatever reason, um, you know, cut yourself some slack. Like this is a hard time for everybody. So I do think it's okay to like, you know, watch some Netflix or eat some ice cream or whatever. Like it's, it's all right. But at the same time, like, again, ask yourself, what do I want to see come out of this time? How can I, how can I come out of this? And like, I started writing a book or I started the podcast or my side hustle or the art thing I always wanted to do, or now I've got my, you know, music on SoundCloud or, or whatever it is. Try to try to devote some time to that um, in that process. Maybe one thing practically is if you, so if you're now working remotely and you, you have a full-time job still, but you're not required to work you know, the same hours, you know, you just have, you have certain things you have to get done and maybe you have to show up for certain meetings, but you have some flexibility. This would be a great time to kind of figure out what are your ideal working hours, because normally you've been going, you know, from nine to five or whatever the time period is. Now you have some flexibility. You may discover that you, you know, you do your best work early in the morning um, and then you need a longer break in the afternoon. You like to go back to things later or something completely different. This could be really helpful to figure that out. And that can help you in your side hustle. It can help you in your day job. It can help you whatever else you do next. Amazing. Um, all right. Well, I, I've got a bunch more questions, but I'm uh, aware that there's now so many questions accumulating in the chats all over the place that we need to get to some of those. So if you are ready, I would love to shift gears. And there's so many good questions coming okay. in from far and wide. Um, and there's a really cool sentiment that we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. is, you know, people from the, the corners of the globe asking questions, all of which are relevant. Mm-hmm. And um I think it's it's important to acknowledge that we're in a unique time. You yeah. talked about it and your you know, how you're dealing with change and the story that you told yourself before versus I think you called it reframing. Yeah. So we've got people all over the world in the process of reframe reframing. Um and the questions are myriad, so I want to cover a bunch of different um aspects that relate to the book and everything that you've been writing about for the past decade. Um and because of the um, the pandemic mm-hmm. and the book tour, people are asking, did you actually think about postponing the whole thing? Was that an option for you? Or mm-hmm. was there a, a, just a, like, let's go forward. We've The book is so close. It's here. It's been printed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is uh, maybe a little insight in the mind of the entrepreneur. Like when you're faced with, it's usually not a, do you do the smart, easy thing or the dumb, hard thing? It's usually like, hmm, you know, it's like, you know, if I had to not use one hand, which would right, it be? Right. You know, so how did you, well, you know, what I was, was part of your decision process? Well, if we were going to postpone, like to what, to, when would we postpone to, right? We have no idea, you know, when, when things will be different in some ways. And, and uh, I mean, the, the tour, I do hope to be able to go back to that at a certain point. I don't know when that will be. Um, but the good thing about a book is it's still available, you know, in lots of different formats. You know, I have an audio book that I recorded. There's a digital version. People can order the print book from their local bookstore, as you said, uh, uh, or from Amazon or, or wherever else. So the message is, I mean, the message is relevant. It's timely, you know. And so it's like if I can overcome the business challenge of getting the message out during this time, then I do think it will it will help people. So, no, I never thought about really, like, pushing it back. And also, to be fair, it's not entirely up to me. Like, I'm working with, you know, publishing partners, and they have calendars and, and such. Um, so I, I think the best thing to do is, like, accept that that part is out of, out of your control. You know, the book comes out ready or not at this time. And it's actually good for me to have deadlines, I would say, also as a, as a creative and somebody who works independently. Uh, if, if I was self-publishing my own stuff, I might push back the book every time, you know, even when there's not a <laughs> pandemic, you know. It's like, oh, another two weeks would be great, another two months. But because I have the publishing relationships I have, I can't do that. And that's probably good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. That question was from Scion. Thanks. Um, so there's a interesting discussion going on. It's got its own thread. Um, Nadia and Pamela are talking about um, considerations for what other people think about either your business idea or you know you writing a fiction book for the first time. Like, talk to us about how to manage the pressures that we feel culturally to do a certain thing, be a certain way. You you opened with mm. um, largely looking at ways to. Um, be unconventional, be to break rules, and so reconcile all that stuff for us. And how do how should we think about the mm. incoming you know pressures or ideas that everybody right. else has for our one precious life? Yeah, I think the the ideal, and I say ideal because it's hard to live up to. But I think the ideal to to understand is you know what other people think about you is none of your business, basically. Right, this shouldn't affect what what you are you are doing. And again, I know it's hard, but if you know, you like you keep that present, then that can be a little bit helpful. Ultimately, I think of it the same way I think about fear or like anything that I am afraid of, anything that is holding you back in terms of that inhibition or insecurity uh, of which I have a lot. Uh, I try to think of it as this is here, this is present, and here is what I want to do. And am I going to allow the fear, the insecurity, or what people think or their projections on me? you know, the, the issues that they have that they are expressing in their comments or their judgment of me, am I going to actually you know, let that prevent me from moving forward on something that, that, you know, is important to me? I think you have to remember that about projections. Like oftentimes when um, somebody's doing something new, they're starting a new project or going in a different direction or making a shift in their life, that can be uncomfortable. You know, that can be uncomfortable to the people around them because sometimes they look at what that person's doing and they're like, they, they have a sense of envy, actually. Like they're like, I, I want to do that. But I didn't make that choice, you know? And so what happens in the end often is they come around. Some of the people who are a little bit judgmental or critical, they see, your, they see what you have done with it. And they're like, okay, you know, maybe that's it. So you're a role model in that way. You have to just move past it. Don't pretend it's not there, but you have to just let your decision, like your goals and your, 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 the course that you chart lead the way. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I want to invite you to tweak your mic a little bit. Oh, so thank it's you. A little, Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. It's just a, a little more toward you. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> that's all good. Um, 
Uh, Hannah asks a very practical question. Hey, how do I get that free book that you mentioned? Um, so we're building an online book registry at moneytreebook.com. Uh, it's not ready yet, but it will be ready very soon. So if you keep checking back uh, within the next week, it should be up. Moneytreebook.com. Yeah, and for the people who are who joined late or missed that part of your presentation, um, can you recap that for us? Yes, of course. Uh, so we're, we're building the first ever blockchain-enabled book registry that will allow donors, book donors, to connect with anybody who's in a situation of financial struggle and would like to read the book but you know can't get it for whatever reason. So if you're in either group, you'll be able to come and you can register to receive a book or you can choose to buy uh, copies of the book for these people. And we, we just like the idea of an experiment of, of seeing like what, what kind of goodness can we create from this and and you know maybe nothing will come of it, but maybe something really big will come of it. So it's, it's one of those risks like we talked about earlier. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Chris Hope wants to know, are you doing some workshops on this? I know it's, I'm guessing it's probably like you want to make sure to get the book out there, but is that something that you have in mind or where's the best place for people to tap into the community that you're building mm -hmm. around this new book? Yes. Uh, I'm going to be doing stuff every single day. I'm going to be doing a daily Instagram live. You can follow me at 193 countries. Um, I'm going to be starting a, a new series um, that, I, that I think will actually be on YouTube. I haven't announced it yet, but I just did, so it will be there. Um, <laughs> and that's going to focus specifically on you know, finding opportunities in the time of uncertainty. Um, I'm going to be doing some other live streams. You can follow me at chrisgillibo.com. Um, anything, anything I announce will be there or on my Twitter or Instagram. Awesome. I know Chris and lots of other people in the chat room are going to be happy to hear about that. Um, so Anna wants to know, how do the people in your book and the people that are in your community create processes to increase sales or grow their business? I will. That's my little insert. Okay. okay. Without burning out, because there's so much to be done. Sure. Anna P wants to know that. Yeah, great question, Anna. So this is the kind of thing that we could spend a lot of time on and you know delve into the specifics of your business because some of it relate, may relate to that. Um, but I would say big picture, there, there are so many things that can be done and you won't be able to do all the things. And in fact, trying to do all the things is always a mistake, always, always a mistake. But it's especially a mistake for anybody who's really busy and has a day job and has other responsibilities. And those people are actually my market. Like when I started the podcast, I was like, I'm making this for busy people, you know, who don't have 40 hours a week to spend you know, on their projects or whatever. And so when you have that limitation, that constraint, that can actually be helpful because you realize I can't try every single strategy. I can't be on every different social network. I can probably be on two, maybe. I could be on two and do a good job with that. So I think imposing these constraints is good. And then as for increasing sales, well, you're probably trying a bunch of different stuff depending on what your business is. And I think it's important to pay attention to what's working and then just do more of that. And just do more of what is working. Like figure out, okay, if this is the thing that's bringing in, if it's a classic 80-20 rule, it really does apply in, in this kind of, kind of uh, market and with, with side hustles. Wherever things are working, do more of that. Ask if there's a way to create an extension of your product or your service. Uh, if you have a product, is there a way to provide a service around it? Or if you have a service, is there a way to pro provide a product around it? Those are a couple of things, and there's a lot more, but that's where I would start. Amazing. Um, Mary Ellen wants to know, have you always had this sense of curiosity and abundance instead of asking questions, uh, quitting early, mm. thinking in a scarcity mindset? Is this a learned thing or is this a trait? What was that person's name? I'm sorry. This is Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. Thank you for asking that question. Um, that's a beautiful question. I think I have, so there were two parts to it. One was the curiosity and the other was the, 
just the the uh, uh, curiosity abundance, abundance versus right. scarcity. Okay. Great. So is this a, yes. a trait or is this something that you taught yourself or learned? Mm. I don't think I ever consciously taught myself anything. I think I just experimented. I think I was always curious to a degree. Um, I had you know like a range of, of early experiences in term, in, including being a juvenile delinquent and dropping out of high school and you know a whole bunch of other stuff that came came after that. Um, not to say that that's like the formative experience everyone should aim for, but um, I also don't regret any of it. So I think I always had the curiosity, but I, I really liked what she said about abundance because I do try to have that mindset now, and I don't think I always did. I think if the opposite of abundance is scarcity, I think there are a lot of times in my life that I, I kind of live from that model of you know, a zero-sum game or you know, if, if somebody else is winning, then I am losing uh, or comparison you know, to other people's success and such. Um, so that's something I've been trying to, to work on. I think you kind of just grow with it as you go. Um, the beautiful thing about this kind of work, either, whether it's the kind of work that like I'm doing and what Chase is doing in terms of creative work, or if it's just some, you know, one of these like random side hustles that I talked about, with both of them, you know, competition really isn't a factor so much. You know, it's like there, there's room for lots of people to do lots of things, you know. Somebody could go out tomorrow and start competing with the, the parrot behavioral ebook seller, and she would still be selling ebooks about parrot behavioral modification. So I, I think understanding that the best thing you can do for yourself is like, what is next for me? Not what is somebody else doing? Like I don't, I don't. I try not to pay attention to that stuff. You know, I don't read my book reviews. I don't look at, you know, metrics and stats and stuff like that. I just try to focus on what what's in front of me now. Amazing. Hey, um, can you talk a little bit more about the book you have coming out in the fall? <laughs> the book I have coming out in the fall. Uh, I haven't actually started work on that. All the, the entire work that I've done with that is, uh, you know, get this mock up of the cover, which I do want to say a uh, shout out to my friends Katya and Anna in Mexico City uh, for doing that cover design for me this morning. Mm-hmm. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, see, I forgot earlier when we were talking about um, money, flow, joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I framed that as, as my own question because I get a lot of questions about it. But it was also, um, I want to give a shout out to Cece who um, asked that question in the chat. Uh, that reminds me of another um, very powerful framework that you have, um, which is how to know when to quit. Mm. How to know when to, something's not working because there's people in the chat rooms and there are people um, tuned in today who hey, man, I don't know. I've been doing this for a long time, and here I am. And if I thought it was hard before, now we're in the mm-hmm. middle of a pandemic. And um, so give those folks some advice. Yeah, yeah. We like to talk about this uh, from different times. I, I, I think, so first of all, I'm a big fan of encouraging people to quit. I'm a big fan of encouraging people to give up on stuff that is not working or is just not, you know, not the thing they're supposed to be doing now or not what they are enjoying. And I, I feel like this is not said enough just from the top down. I feel like the, this people are always talking about, you know, just keep going, just keep trying, just persist. And that's terrible advice for so many people in so many situations. Um, think about that example of the flight attendant, you know, is that person just supposed to keep, you know, writing to more and more airlines, you know, trying to get a better job? Or are they going to be better served by doing something different? I think every person watching is like they need to, you know, if they really want to, to, to you know, get ahead and get out of this situation they're facing, they need to do something different. So big picture, big fan of giving up on stuff. Nothing wrong with that. I think what, what you're talking about, Chase, is uh, 
So if you're in a situation where you can't decide, like I've got the project, is it, you know, do I keep going with it? Do I try something else? I'm indecisive. Then um, the kind of rubric or the, the model that we look at is uh, just a very simple two-part question. It, you know, first of all, is it working? And second, do you still enjoy it? And if something is working and you enjoy it, you don't even have to ask that question. Um, if it's not working anymore and you don't enjoy it, then you stop and you do something else. Like that's the easiest thing. And you only have to do more analysis if the answers are in conflict. And so if something is not working, but you still like it, then you have to acknowledge reality. And you have to say, this is, okay, this is how things are. I can't just pretend, you know, if I'm, if I'm in the cruise industry right now, I can't just pretend that next week is going to be a great week because it's not. Um, so I have to change something because it's not working, but maybe there is a way to reframe or regroup. And then the other way is like, if it's actually working great, but you don't love it, well, life is short. One way or another, you're gonna have to make a change at some point, or you will be miserable if you just keep doing something you don't like. So eloquent. It's just, it's just like a scalpel. It cuts right to the, right to the important stuff so fast. Um, thank you for sharing that, thank Chris. You. Thank you. Um, Crystal M wants to know, is the money tree appropriate for teens and or tweens? I think it is, actually. I, I think it is. I actually had a number of, of teens and tween readers uh, in the advanced uh, reading group. And so obviously they will be the judge of that, but I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it. Uh, Lila wants to know, how do we get notified when this registry that we talked about earlier is up? Um, uh, we can think of a bunch of friends who need it in these yes. tough times. Yes. How do you get notified? I don't have a notification system for it um, just yet, um, but I promise it will be on moneytreebook.com. Uh, likely within the next week if you're watching live. If you're watching later, it may already be there. It will be very obvious when it's there. I will announce it in all of my social channels and on my blog. So if you follow me on any of those places, um, this will be a very big deal. This is not like a small project. This is something we're going to make a major push for. Got it. And just to recap, uh, on the backside of that, your social handles are at 193 countries. Um, and Chris Gillibo, uh, where do you remember where you are? Are either <laughs> do, on? do I remember where I am? Yes, <laughs> it's a struggle, but I try. Um, yes, 193 countries on Instagram, and all the others are Chris Gillibo. Okay, great, thank you. I guess that's a selfish question there because I'm like, man, I know he's someone this and um, yes. but as, the, the money tree book dot com is yes. a great place. Um, Maria Boven de la Bay wants to know. First of all, she's very happy to be here and wants to thank you for doing this virtually because so many people don't get to see you in person even when you are on tour. Mm -hmm, so big shout out and a thank you. Thank you, Maria. Um, and she would love to hear your thoughts on platforms like Patreon. Mm. Platforms like Patreon, you know, for those who aren't familiar where a creator can, you know, offer their work to subscribers or fans and fans can support them. Uh, I think it can work if you have enough of a, of a following. I think it's hard sometimes when people are just getting going and they try to do a Patreon uh, because they're not going to get a lot of support there. So you know, the opposite of Patreon, not the opposite, but the other approach is, is developing some kind of, of product or service or just a subscription that you offer on your own. Uh, so it's not like I'm for or against you know, those, those platforms per se. I think they are a good fit for some people. Great. Um Anna wants to uh, ask the question, tried a lot of ideas in um, Chris's world. She said she's a designer. Mm. She's tried things like Etsy, Society6. Mm -hmm. They're working, but they don't really work. Mm -hmm. and, and she's wondering 
what's the best place to find guidance where I don't have to spend one to two can of course. And I'm going to take a second and say, <laughs> your subscription to Creative Live is like 200 bucks, 150 yep. bucks. There like, there's 2,000 classes there. Right. But this is, that's my hijacking. This is really um, for you. Like, mm-hmm. what's the community aspect? How, how would you steer her towards um, a bunch of like-minded people who also might be struggling, of course, um, in your your orbit. But is there some outside sources, or what would you recommend to Anna? Yeah. Uh, so, so two things. One, uh, I mean, first of all, three things. Be sure you subscribe to Creative Live. Uh, Side Hustle School, my podcast, twelve hundred episodes. They're ten minutes long. They're designed for busy people, and every single one, you know, different case study model, including a number of people who have been successful on Etsy and other platforms like that. Usually, the key with Etsy is there's a lot of people selling the same thing. Um, there's a lot of commodity sales, even if it's art, they're very, very similar. Um, and so the people we've seen who end up doing well on Etsy, like I actually had a story about a woman who was doing some really creative lighting uh, sales on Etsy and ended up ma- making her own website, now has a retail store in Chicago uh, that has become like a million dollar business, but started on Etsy. Uh, it's usually because they are, they are doing something different. They are standing out and they have found a really creative way to do it. Um, as for some of the other ones that you mentioned, I think those are, those are platforms, I call them starter platforms because they are good for somebody who's never done anything like this. It can be very validating to go and list something for sale on Etsy or eBay or anywhere else. And then, you know, it sells even for a small amount of money because that validation just kind of is like, oh, empowering. I can do something else with this. But it's not always a great thing to build your business on those platforms uh, because it is, you know, hyper-competitive and saturated and because that platform is controlling access to your buyers and your browsers and all that. Uh, so ultimately, I think it's better to actually build, build away from that. And, you know, as for what's best, I mean, that, that kind of depends on, on your specific design skills, you know, what you are trying to, to offer to people. Awesome. Speaking of podcast, Dave D wants to say thank you. Just discovered it. Um, I'm wondering if you can uh, give us a little more color on the podcast. It's every day. Yes. Which is totally bonkers. SideHustleSchool.com uh, or an Apple podcast or Spotify uh, or you know, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and it, it, is a, it is a collection of stories and, and question and answer and dialogue with people that is designed to be very short and bite-sized. And uh, my favorite thing is when people discover it and go back and listen to the entire archive, which even as the creator of it, I think is kind of insane now that there's so many episodes. Um, but I hear from people that are going on road trips, you know, like across the U.S. or Canada or elsewhere, and they're like, I listen to you from this state all the way to this state. And I'm like, I wouldn't want to listen to myself from this state to that state, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you. Sydney wants to know, do you have advice for young adults slash teenagers who want to dive into their own startups? Uh, great question, Sydney. I'm not sure most of my advice would be, I'm not sure my advice is much different. I think uh, if you're in that place, then you have access to a lot of the same stuff that a lot of the people that I have featured. Like you don't have access to a lot of money, which I assume, but that's good. You know, somebody else asked me the other day, uh, here's an example of like a, a question with incorrect thinking. Someone said, I have $5,000. Is that enough to start my side hustle? And my response is, it's actually too much, probably. I mean, it depends on what you want to do, right? But the question is not, I have this much money. How can I do it? So if you're a teenager or a kid, I've actually had a lot of stories of kids and teenagers on the podcast, uh, people doing some really interesting, interesting stuff. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, this is either Jan or Jan. I don't know what country this uh, is coming in from, but... Um, wants to talk about the process of writing. I'm guessing this person might be interested in writing their own book or writing right. a blog. Um, 
you talked about having publishers and whatnot, but uh, Jan or Jan wants to know, did you have someone help you with the process of editing the book? Well, I am, I'm fortunate to have an editor, and that's what the editor does. Um, but, you know, I, I do, you know, all the outlining and drafting and writing myself, and then I get feedback from them and go back and, and do it some more and such. Um, so, you know, even if you're not working with a traditional publisher, I think it's very helpful to get advice from a, a person who actually is a professional editor, not just, you know, your friend who has some comments. Those may be valid comments as well. Um, but I think it's really helpful to kind of go through that process of, of getting constructive feedback. Um, Justine wants to say, Justine B, Chris, your dry sense of humor gives me life. <laughs> so thank you. I agree. Like your personality, your, your sense thank of you, humor is, um, unmatched. Thank you. Um, You're awesome. There's a couple questions about the world domination summit. Oh, cool. Can you, uh, fill us in on the latest, the, the status of the yes. of WDS? Great. Uh, so World Domination Summit, for those who don't know, it's this gathering we've been doing every summer in Portland, Oregon uh, for awesome, remarkable people, such as those who are watching or listening now. Uh, Chase has been with us at least two or three years, I believe. And uh, so we've been going for 10 years. We have main stage keynotes like Chase Jarvis and others. Uh, we have lots of little workshops and breakouts, meetups and parties and such. And uh, this was going to be our 10th and final year. We announced last year we've done 10 years. We wanted to like, actually end well rather than keeping going forever. Um, but like so many other things uh, in this world that we're in, we are postponing. So it is postponed, not canceled. Uh, we are now going to do it uh, in the summer of 2021. So WDS 2020 will be held in June 2021. You can go to worlddominationsummit.com to learn more. You're going to still call it the World Domination Summit 2020? TBD. <laughs> uh, fortunately, we learned a long time ago to not print the date on any of the swag or anything else that we print. So that's, that's good. Um, but we will see. <laughs> uh... Laura R. wants to know, all these new technologies that are available to us are wonderful, but how does anyone possibly keep up? Doesn't that make finding your target audience more difficult? I do not try to keep up. I mean, I don't know what you think. What, what's your answer to that, Chase? Oh, I, I, trying to keep up is uh, it's a fool's errand, right? Yes. It's just, uh, I like to, this is where that part intuition, like what mm -hmm. feels good to you. Yeah. And every once in a while, to me, you you work really hard and essentially you're putting blinders on mm -hmm. and every once in a while yeah. come up to see if there's anything new that you can incorporate. Mm -hmm. But if you're always looking over your shoulder, it's bad for your neck. Yeah. First of all, you need to be you know, focused and that's one of the reasons that horses have blinders. I think they work great mm -hmm. for people too. It's one of the, you know, your focus and your attention is arguably the most powerful thing you have, whether you're pricing it on a person that you care for or your business, um, attentions is everything. So mm -hmm. to me, getting distracted with the next new platform and technology and mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work for, for most. But, uh, you know, this question was for you. you. You kicked it over to me, Chris. But, but I have the same answer, though. I mean, I have basically the same answer. Is I, I, there's, there's so much that I don't keep up with and so much that I don't do well. So it's not even a question of keeping up. There's a lot of stuff I don't do well because of, of the structure that I have. I don't have a lot of employees. I'm fortunate to work with a few people, but I don't, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not a good manager. I don't want to like create a company. And so as a consequence of that, there's a lot of stuff that I, I just can't do or can't do well. And I've accepted that. I try to focus on, on like what I'm good at, what's in front of me, you know, what my goals are and such. And there's a lot of platforms or networks that I'm not on. There's a lot of stuff other people do really, really well um, that I respect. And I look at them and I'm like, that's cool. I wish I could do that. But to do that, I would need to have 
you know, built something different or to make different choices in my life. So ultimately, uh, a lot of what I do is, is like, what is the life that I want to live? How, do, how is my life and work integrated or aligned in that way? And so um, I would say, what, like, the question is, how do I keep up? Don't, don't try to keep up. That, that is a fool's errand, to use Chase's phrase. Uh, someone smarter than me said that. I, I'm, I'm ripping that <laughs> you off for just sure. just claim it. It's okay. <laughs> okay, great. Perfect. Um, Brenda wants to know about uh, creating online courses using Teachable. Is there a better platform? What do you recommend? Any ideas you can offer? There are there are a lot of platforms out there. I don't know that there is a best platform. You know, the best platform. It's kind of like Chase. What is it you say about the the camera? Like the best camera is the one that you have, right? Yep. If if you know you like Teachable or another one, then then that's great. Um, I think like with the question, what's what's your content? What are you teaching? What are you hoping to get out to people? And then how do you match uh, the platform to that? There are many. Awesome. Um, it has been brought to my attention that um it's your birthday it is not my birthday but it will be soon but thank you the internet says it's your birthday on your um on your wikipedia page yes the internet is <laughs> is advanced in time um the internet is what is it uh, three days early Okay, so so you do the math, and then everyone but, who's on this broadcast, go wish Chris. Uh, but you can wish me a happy birthday still. I appreciate it. Thank okay, you. people are people are wishing you a happy birthday. Thank you. S- surprise, surprise. Thank you. Um, so uh, Kevin was asking about world. Uh, one more follow up on WDS. Um, you've postponed it, mm-hmm. but I thought it was sold out. But mm-hmm. so what's the status now? Will there be more tickets or should the people who didn't get in just like fold their hands and go pout in the corner? Um, I don't think they should pout in the corner, uh, but we don't really have an announcement for that yet. Like right now, it's just kind of like we just made this decision to postpone or the decision was effectively made for us, of course. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that we have to figure out on our end. Um, but if you go to worlddominationsummit.com, that's where we'll have any future announcement. Awesome. Um, Dana, this question is from Dana. We're going rapid fire here because okay. I'm aware of our our time i know we need to get you on to your next event but um dana wants to know uh it's it's back about it's back to the point we touched on earlier but dana comes at it from a slightly different way which is just these outside pressures Mm -hmm. um when you first start out if you don't have friends who are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. or others who have side hustles um you tend to get a lot of hey don't quit your job or Mm -hmm. you can't make money that way how do you let oh. that affect you or where would you, and thing one, how do you let it affect you? And then thing two, where do you turn to get different advice? Um, yeah. So first of all, I don't always tell people to quit their job. I mean, a lot of what I encourage people to do is in whatever situation you are in life, what can you do to start creating more economic security for yourself so that you have the option to do something you know, different in the future? Um, so it's not so much about walking away from your job right away, but still, I understand what you mean about the pressure of somebody you can't make money doing this or whatever. So maybe two things. One, you know, even if those people are your friends, you don't necessarily have to get counsel or advice from from them. If they are negative, you can just kind of do your own thing. Uh, also, even if they are your friends, maybe you need some new friends as well, like uh, in addition. 
uh, or in place of, you know, that's, that's for you to decide. So in this time that we're in now, it's really interesting because people are connecting virtually and digitally in so many different ways and forums. And, you know, I would say start watching more creative live, you know, start hanging out in other, other groups, like, you know, what other meetings can you go to? What other communities can you find and such? And one way or another, you need, find, you need to find people who are supportive of your goals and dreams. I think even like, just watching this, if you can see in the chat and other people that are here, you can tell that there are other people like who see, that, see the world in the same way, who have the same values. So understand that you're not alone. It is, it is different than, you know, when I was working for myself 20 years ago, I didn't know a lot of people, as I said, who were doing it, um, uh, even though some were, but we were all kind of isolated. Uh, but now, you know, there are a lot of people uh, just, you know, asking different questions and trying different stuff. So you're definitely not alone. Awesome. I'm trying to get through as many questions okay, I need to as go possible. Faster. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, Sorry. this is no, actually, okay. people are loving the long answers. Um, and so you, it's my job to make sure that the right questions get asked. You just okay. go ahead and do the answer that you want to provide. Nadia asks, well, first of all, it's a comment. Chris, you have such a lovely message. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia. The second is, do you struggle as someone who helps others so much to set boundaries for yourself? I do. Uh, sure. I, I often feel really guilty or bad or I don't know what the word is, probably something more eloquent than that. Um, because I, I'm frequently behind in getting, you know, getting back to people and people will like, contact me about stuff and then I'm negligent in replying because of all this other stuff I'm trying to do. And I, I don't like that. It's like a constant struggle and I haven't really found the answer because I don't want to, I don't want to like put boundaries that say like, you can't contact me or whatever, you know, like I'm too busy to respond to your email. I'm very kind of offended by, by that in, in a way. And at the same time, it's like the reality of like, I, I can't spend, you know, 12 hours a day just doing emails or whatever. So it's a, I don't know, it's a struggle. I don't, I don't have the full answer for it. Well, you do a pretty good job of scaling your advice and help and communication, um, writing books, whatnot, your, your, your daily podcast as someone who has a podcast of their own. And the fact that you do yours daily, I've just, I feel like, like shame emoji. The creative <laughs> live is streaming every day, multiple classes for sure. But that's, that's, uh, a lot of people signed up to, uh, to help contribute to that. There's a whole team behind the scenes, but it's just such a valuable resource. And there were some other questions about that. And, um, you all know where to go get that wherever you get podcasts or, mm-hmm. uh, at side hustle school. Yeah. com. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of side hustles, Dwayne wants to know, are there side hustle groups out here in the world, like in Los Angeles? And this is a recurring question. We've got other people yeah. want to know how to get together with other side hustlers. Yeah, uh, we actually have had, to go back to World Domination Summit, we've had WDS, uh, you know, WDS local groups meeting in different cities, uh, some more active than, than others. And a lot of people there are side hustling. So that, that's one opportunity. Um, and if it, if it works out, I would love to start money tree reading groups in, in different cities, uh, which doesn't have to be all about the book. It's just kind of like the, that's the structure of the organization of it. Um, but everybody in the book or you know, everybody who comes to that is trying to pursue this third way model. Um, in the book itself, it is, there's a lot of, of conversation about this group that meets. And so my hope is that if the book does, does well enough, like we have to reach enough people with it. Um, but if it does well enough, then we can start those groups in lots of different cities. And, and that would also be free and, and just available to everybody who wants to participate. Awesome. There's such a thriving community here in the chat. We've hey. got people from Canada. I've mentioned before a global audience. Awesome. Um, and that is a, a, a great transition to uh, Dennis Garrick's question. 
how do we continue this conversation after the event? I know Chris has to go home at some point, but how do we continue the conversation? What's your answer to that? Of course, there's a, there's community here in this chat room, but yep. uh, where would you steer them? Because there's, I, I mean, I'm going to do the selling for you here for a second, of okay. course. Like, Thank you. There's so much community around here, and the book, um, if you Google this thing and you cross-reference this in any of Chris's channels, if I know one thing about Chris besides his being an amazing human is, too, he does a better job of creating community than 99.9% of the people who've ever set foot on the internet. So you can be sure there will be something. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that in the middle of your launch week mm-hmm. that you're, uh, that there's a bunch going on, but what, what is your, maybe you can shape it into the, for, for Dennis Garrick, what's the long-term vision of where people will aggregate around the ideas that you share in the money tree? Yeah, um, that's great. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you for asking that. I think maybe so. I, I touched on this very briefly earlier, but but let's do it. You know, let let's do it live, right? So um, I do want to start this uh, YouTube channel in which I'm going to be streaming and answering questions. You know, um, like this on a regular basis, and I'm hoping to do that very soon. So if you, I, I don't I don't actually have anything up yet, but if you look this week at YouTube.com/slash Chris I'm going to announce that, and there'll be a regular time for it, and people can converse and chat and so on. Um, so that's that's my thing. You know, details to come. But as for you know, the the long term, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I want. I want this to be an interaction in the, in the sense that all my greatest stuff that I've ever been part of, it's it's been one part of me, and then one part what other people bring. You know, it's like I have an idea and I'm putting it forward, but then somebody else comes along and makes it better, whether it's through WDS or the book or the podcast or, or anything. So, I think um, I'm I'm kind of you know observing it all as it, as it goes as well. Well, Laura and Hero. Uh, Nashimura, or Laura says, I would love to host one of these discussion groups. Uh, Hero is Side Hustle School, and all your books have helped me start side hustling. And uh, Hero quit the corporate job last summer as a 30th birthday present. Um, And it's big, yeah, big, big shout out to you. Yeah, Um, congratulations. Dwayne has a quick question that I want to get in before because I've seen it pop up from a couple of others. This getting investment in your side hustle. I'm, I'm offering that up because sure. I think I know your, your, your response, but because a couple of people who've talked about it, Dwayne's question is specifically on how do you say what the ROI is going to be, but I just wanted to get your sure, sure. overall impression on getting investment. Yeah, no, Dwayne, thank you for the, for the question. So I try not to answer questions that I'm not qualified to answer. And I have no idea how you get investment capital for your business because I have never done that for myself, nor do I want to. Uh, nor do 99% of all the different people that I've talked about in 1,200 episodes of the podcast or in my seven books. They don't do that. They don't want that. Like they are deliberately trying not to do that. And obviously there are some businesses that need that. Like this is not a universal critique of every business in the world. It depends on what you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to start a major manufacturing business, create some new semiconductor technology or whatever, then maybe you need investment. Maybe there's, there's probably somebody else you can go and listen to, you know, to give good advice about that. Uh, I'm trying to reach people who don't want to go that path. They just want to do something for themselves. They want to start quickly. They want to start in the next 30 days. They need to make some extra money or they want to build the security or new future for themselves um, without necessarily trying to have a company with hundreds of employees or whatever. So th- those are my people. Um, and that's kind of the need that I speak to. Well, speak to it elegantly, you do. Spoken like Yoda. <laughs> um, there's, there's just a, such an outpouring of gratitude and love and support and encouragement. Congratulations on the new book. If you tuned in late, 
Um, we're here talking with Chris Gillibo about his new book, The Money Tree, um, which pre-orders are on right now. And that's a great way to help Chris is mm-hmm. to press the button. If you're on the Creative Live class page or if you're watching on Facebook, go to creativelive.com slash Chris. And there's a great big picture of the book right there. That'll take you to a place where you can buy the book. Um, you mentioned all the different formats earlier, Chris, that you can get some of these delivered instantaneously via you know, things like Kindle and audiobook yep. and but uh, take it from me, the, the physical book is is gorgeous as well. I enjoyed it. I dog-eared the crap out of it. Nice. Um, it has been such a, tribu- a, a joy and a treat to have you here on Creative Live, Chris. You're always welcome. So grateful for uh, for sharing your, your vision and uh, wisdom with us, specifically around money and having additional side income because we're in an uncertain world and we don't want to pretend that that's not a, that doesn't exist. So thank you so much. Uh, but before we go, what is there anything else that you'd want to close with? Any ideas that you have to share with us that uh, we might not have covered? No, I mean, we covered a lot. This is a wonderful conversation. Um, just very grateful for it. Every time I do this and, you know, hear the comments in the chat, it just reminds me like, you know, I feel really fortunate that I can write books and, and speak to amazing people such as those who are watching right now. So thank you, Chase. Thank you, Creative Live. And thank you, everybody who's been watching. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you. So much juice that when I hit publish and the show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others and Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here, whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shout outs in my feed too. Um, not only do these shout outs, uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.